Section 6 of the Works of Robert G. Ingersoll, Volume 3, Lectures, Shakespeare. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Catherine Phipps. Lecture 1, Shakespeare, Parts 11 and 12. Part 11. That a procession of men and women statesmen and warriors kings and clowns issued from shakespeare's brain what women isabella in whose spotless life love and reason blended into perfect truth juliet within whose heart passion and purity met like white and red within the bosom of a rose cordelia who chose to suffer loss rather than show her wealth of love with those who gilded lies in hope of gain hermione tender as infancy and grace who bore with perfect hope and faith the cross of shame and who at last forgave with all her heart desdemona so innocent so perfect her love so pure that she was incapable of suspecting that another could suspect and who with dying words sought to hide her lover's crime and with her last faint breath uttered a loving lie that burst into a perfumed lily between her pallid lips perdita a violet dim and sweeter than the lids of juno's eyes the sweetest low-born lass that ever ran on the green sward and helena who said i know i love in vain strive against hope yet in this captious and intenable sieve i still pour in the waters of my love and lack not to lose still thus indian-like religious in mine error i adore the sun that looks upon his worshipper but knows of him no more miranda who told her love as gladly as a flower gives its bosom to the kisses of the sun and cordelia whose kisses cured and whose tears restored and stainless imogen who cried what is it to be false and here is the description of the perfect woman to feed for eye her lamp and flames of love to keep her constancy in plight and youth outliving beauties outward with a mind that doth renew swifter than blood decays shakespeare has done more for woman than all the other dramatists of the world for my part i love the clowns i love launce and his dog crab and gobbo whose conscience threw its arms around the neck of his heart and touchstone with his lie seven times removed and dear old dogberry a pretty piece of flesh tedious as a king and bottom the very paramour for a sweet voice longing to take the part to tear a cat in and autolycus the snapper up of unconsidered trifles sleeping out the thought for the life to come and great sir john without conscience and for that reason unblamed and enjoyed and who at the end babbles of green fields and is almost loved and ancient pistol the world his oyster and bardolph with the flea on his blazing nose putting beholders in mind of a damned soul in hell and the poor pool who followed the mad king and went to bed at noon and the clown who carried the worm of nihilus whose biting was immortal and corin the shepherd who described the perfect man i am a true labourer i earn that i eat get that i wear owe no man aught envy no man's happiness glad of other men's good content and mingling in this motley throng 
Lear, within whose brain a tempest raged until the depths were stirred, and the intellectual wealth of a life was given back to memory, and then by madness thrown to storm and night. And when I read the living lines, I feel as though I looked upon the sea and saw it wrought by frenzied whirlwinds, until the buried treasures and the sunken wrecks of all the years were cast upon the shores. And Othello, who, like the base Indian, threw a pearl away richer than all his tribe, and Hamlet, thought entangled, hesitating between two worlds, and Macbeth, strange mingling of cruelty and conscience, reaping the sure harvest of successful crime, curses not loud but deep, mouth honour, breath, and Brutus, falling on his sword that Caesar might be still, and Romeo, dreaming of the white wonder of Juliet's hand, and Ferdinand, the patient logman for Miranda's sake, and Florizel, who, for all the sun seas, or the close earth wombs, or the profound seas hide, would not be faithless to the low-born lass, and Constance, weeping for her son, while grief stuffs out his vacant garments with his form. And in the midst of tragedies and tears, of love and laughter and crime, we hear the voice of the good friar, who declares that in every human heart, as in the smallest flower, there are encamped the opposed hosts of good and evil. And our philosophy is interrupted by the garrulous old nurse, whose talk is as busily useless as the babble of a stream that hurries by a ruined mill. From every side the characters crowd upon us, the men and women born of Shakespeare's brain. They utter with a thousand voices the thoughts of the myriad-minded man, and impress themselves upon us as deeply and vividly as though they really lived with us. Shakespeare alone has delineated love in every possible phase, has ascended to the very top, and actually reached heights that no other has imagined. I do not believe the human mind will ever produce, or be in a position to appreciate, a greater love play than Romeo and Juliet. It is a symphony in which all music seems to blend, the heart bursts into blossom, and he who reads feels the swooning intoxication of a divine perfume. In the alembic of Shakespeare's brain, the baser metals were turned to gold, passions became virtues, weeds became exotics from some diviner land, and common mortals made of ordinary clay outranked the Olympian gods. In his brain there was the touch of chaos that suggests the infinite that belongs to genius. Talent is measured and mathematical, dominated by prudence and the thought of use. Genius is tropical. The creative instinct runs riot, delights in extravagance and waste, and overwhelms the mental beggars of the world with uncounted gold and unnumbered gems. Some things are immortal. The plays of Shakespeare, the marbles of the Greeks, and the music of Wagner. Part 12 Shakespeare was the greatest of philosophers. He knew the conditions of success, of happiness, the relations that men sustain to each other, and the duties of all. He knew the tides and currents of the heart, the cliffs and caverns of the brain. He knew the weakness of the will, the sophistry of desire, and that pleasure and revenge have ears more deaf than adders to the voice of any true decision. He knew that the soul lives in an invisible world, 
that flesh is but a mask and that there is no art to find the mind's construction in the face he knew that courage should be the servant of judgment and that when valour preys on reason it eats the sword it fights with he knew that man is never master of the event that he is to some extent the sport or prey of the blind forces of the world and that in the reproof of chance lies the true proof of men feeling that the past is unchangeable and that that which must happen is as much beyond control as though it had happened he says let determined things to destiny hold unbewailed their way shakespeare was great enough to know that every human being prefers happiness to misery and that crimes are but mistakes looking in pity upon the human race upon the pain and poverty the crimes and cruelties the limping travellers on the thorny paths he was great and good enough to say there is no darkness but ignorance in all the philosophies there is no greater line this great truth fills the heart with pity he knew that place and power do not give happiness that the crowned are subject as the lowest to fate and chance for within the hollow crown that rounds the mortal temples of a king keeps death his court and there the antic sits scoffing his state grinning at his pomp allowing him a breath a little scene to monarchize be feared and kill with looks infusing him with self and vain conceit as if this flesh which walls about our life were brass impregnable and humoured thus comes at the last and with a little pin bores through his castle wall and farewell king so too he knew that gold could not bring joy that death and misfortune come alike to rich and poor because if thou art rich thou art poor for like an ass whose back with ingots bows thou bearest thy heavy riches but a journey and death unloads thee in some of his philosophy there was a kind of scorn a hidden meaning that could not in his day and time have safely been expressed you will remember that laertes was about to kill the king and this king was the murderer of his own brother and sat upon the throne by reason of his crime and in the mouth of such a king shakespeare puts these words there's such divinity doth hedge a king so in macbeth how he solicits heaven himself best knows but strangely visited people all swollen and ulcerous pitiful to the eye the mere despairs of surgery he cures hanging a golden stamp about their necks put on with holy prayers and tis spoken to the succeeding royalty he leaves the healing benediction with this strange virtue he hath a heavenly gift of prophecy and sundry blessings hang about his throne that speak him full of grace shakespeare was the master of the human heart knew all the hopes fears ambitions and passions that sway the mind of man and thus knowing he declared that love is not love that alters when it alteration finds this is the sublimest declaration in the literature of the world shakespeare seems to give the generalization the result without the process of thought he seems always to be at the conclusion standing where all truths meet in one of the sonnets in this fragment of a line that contains the highest possible truth conscience is born of love if man were incapable of suffering the words right and wrong never could have been spoken 
If man were destitute of imagination, the flower of pity never could have blossomed in his heart. We suffer, we cause others to suffer, those that we love, and of this fact conscience is born. Love is the many-coloured flame that makes the fireside of the heart. It is the mingled spring and autumn, the perfect climate of the soul. End of section 6